0: All right, so we are in Jeremiah, um, for those of you that have been away for a long time, uh, and we're going to be in uh, chapter 25. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, was Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Um, so I circled all the times that the word all showed up in those first couple of verses and it was at least three times and it shows up uh, several other times and you get the idea that Jeremiah was wanting to get to everyone um, he, the message was concerning all the people and the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so uh, he was tr- really trying to get the message out and he had been doing so it says in verse 3 For 23 years, which is a lot of years, Um, from the 13th year of Josiah and so forth, um, all these time and date stamps. um, Just for those of you that like the footnotes, um, where in we have this in my Bible a parenthetical statement that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. People have tried to reconcile this and said, well, you know, it looks like we were maybe a year or two off, and was it really that year? And um, they've worked this out. There are um, a couple years, uh, I mean, a couple different ways of, reckoning, of rather recognizing when a, a person's reign started. Was it when they were, you might say, nominated versus when they first ascended or made their first conquest or whatever? Anyway, so it all works out. It's not, not a big deal. Um, but look at what he says in verse 3. It says, I have spoken, I'm sorry, it says, the word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken persistently To you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, though although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants and prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands, then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord. There that I'm sorry, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. We could copy-paste this little summary across probably all of the 24 preceding chapters of Jeremiah. It is, um, as some people think, a summary statement for everything that is that has happened. Uh, what's the big idea? Repent or receive God's wrath pretty straightforward look at verse 5 turn now every one of you from his evil way and his evil deeds repent means right we know this turn around walk a different way repent turn now every one of you in Matthew 3 2 we hear what John the Baptist said guess what he said? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? One chapter over, in Matthew four seventeen, what did they say? Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So, God's been pretty consistent about this message. I was thinking about this, which I think it's kind of interesting and maybe has some application for us today. What about all of the audiences for Jeremiah's message from God and John the Baptist's message from God and Jesus' message? What are those? What about the audiences? They were all kind of churchy people, right? They were he, they were all speaking to people who were, in Jeremiah's case, people who had received the law and were God's chosen people and been brought into the promised land and had the temple, right? And he was telling them to repent. And John the Baptist wasn't, you know, he didn't like fly out of country to, you know, give the message to the unpeopled regions of the world. He was preaching to people who, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and you know, all those people. I mean, that's who he was preaching to, and, and so was Jesus. So I think it's interesting. All of those people had some background. They had some context. They had already been presented with the standard, so it was easy to say, repent, right, to hold them up and say, you're not meeting that standard. I think this may be why the preacher on the corner who just says repent is probably overlooking a little background work that they probably need to do, right? Um, to bring to mind because the modern person is going to say I think you need the work. I think I'm fine, right? Which your, your great example of that is the one that Pastor Bobby's been going to over and over from the first couple chapters of Romans, right? Because this is what Paul does. Paul has a dual audience, remember? He's been preaching to the Jews, but he's also got all these Greeks there in Rome, or pagans, Romans and Greeks. But he holds them up to their own standard, right? Right? I just love this because it's, you know, even if you don't believe the Bible, you don't even follow your own rules. And I think that's a great piece of foundational work that we see Paul doing to a different um, environment uh, that we don't necessarily see Jeremiah, John, or Jesus doing because they already had the standard before them. I, I just that just struck me um, about that message. Uh, I mentioned that. This message went to everyone. But look at verse 4. It says, You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants and prophets. So Jeremiah wasn't the only one, right? Lots of prophets were going around in this roughly the same uh, uh, time span. There was some overlap there. But look at it. They had not listened, so they had heard the message and not acted on it. But furthermore... They had not even been inclined to listen, right? So, they had not put themselves in a position to hear. So, if I show up to church, that's just step one, right? Because if I spend most of the sermon scrolling through my phone, I haven't listened, I may have put myself in a position, but I haven't taken the next step. They're guilty on both counts. They haven't listened, and they haven't even been inclined to that. They haven't been tuned toward that. They haven't been exposing themselves to to the message. They weren't even ready. Look at what the message was again. Turn from your evil way. So I picture that as being kind of their their whole lifestyle had deviated, right? Um, the pattern of their life had really gotten off track. But they also had actual evil deeds. And then there's this thing, every one of you, right? So it wasn't just the leadership, although they were corrupt. It wasn't just the priests or the there's going to be a special indictment to the shepherds we'll come across if I pick up the pace. Um, it wasn't just them, it was every one of them, right? So it said, turn from your evil way, but also look at your evil deeds. So not just things that you were doing, but the whole pattern of your life had gone off. But then look at this. What was the other thing? It said, I want you to turn from your evil way, I want you to Turn from your evil deeds, and I want you to dwell upon the land. I think that's interesting. So here's some things not to do, but here's one I want you to do. Dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from old and forever. Isn't it weird that one of the big indictments is that they were not even enjoying the blessings that they had already been given? What God had given them was not enough. They were not just resting and dwelling and enjoying God's gifts that were right before them they were off doing all these other things and God said look just stay away from this and just enjoy this just dwell fully occupy the blessings that we have and of course I think this speaks to us today You know, why are we constantly looking elsewhere for things when we, we probably don't really even enjoy the things that we have. Um, and then finally, don't go after idols. Keep me on the throne. It was three simple things that were consistently bungled. Um, so there you go. Um, verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words... Behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Interesting. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants, against all those surrounding nations. Here, that word all showing up again. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. That's That's just bad. Um, moreover i will banish from them the voice of mirth the voice of gladness the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp all those good things not only am i going to destroy things but all the good things are going to go away the laughter the celebrations the enjoyment right um probably Big celebrations weren't super common, I would think, back then. Really special occasions when you had a wedding, when the harvest came in, right? When there was oil for the lamp. Those were really good things. All that's going away. Verse 11, The whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, and... uh, We've we've seen this off and on uh, through um, our studies through the years. Uh, seventy years was uh, kind of a ballpark. Uh, it was um, uh, it was a, a shorthand way of saying uh, this kind of chunk of time, a couple generations there. After seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, land of Chaldeans, for their iniquity. In other words. I'm going to use them to deal with you, and then I'm going to deal with them too. Verse 13, I will bring upon the, that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. And we saw this when we studied Daniel. Um, the Assyrians who God had used to take care of the northern tribe gave way to the Babylonians who God is going to use to take care of uh, the southern uh, tribe in Jerusalem, but they're not going to last either. Cyrus and the Persians are going to take care of them. And then we know that didn't last, right? Alexander the Great came in after that, just this wave upon wave of um, civilizations there. Verse 15. We have a lot of pictures of God in the Bible. Uh, In your margin, you can write here, this is God the bartender. I didn't come up with that. A commentator came up with that. I thought that was funny. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse, as at this day. And then we have this list: Uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt; Um, the land of Uz; the Philistines; Ashkelon; Gaza; Ekron; all the guys; Edom; Moab; Ammon. We we hear, you know, we talk about the Edomites and the Moabites and the Ammonites. All these guys. Uh, all the way down, and we're going down: Dedan, Tema, Buzz. Um, these are some of these are descendants of Esau, and now we're kind of trickling down into uh, Arabia and down into Egypt, right? So this, he's in gathering up all of these. Verse twenty-four: All the kings of Arabia, all the mixed tribes dwell in the desert. So this is a, the nomadic uh, peoples. Uh, on down. Verse 26, all the kings of the north far and near one after another and all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth and after them the king of Babylon shall drink. In other words, nobody in this region is going to be spared. Verse 27, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink and be drunk and vomit and fall and rise no more because of the sword I am sending among you. And... In case anyone wants to know, this is not optional. Verse twenty-eight. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, "Thus says the Lord of Hosts: You must drink. For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name, and shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished. For I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth," declares the Lord of Hosts. In other words, if I'm going to judge Israel, um, Jerusalem, don't you think I'll judge you? And that's the message there. Um, you don't necessarily have to turn here, but First Peter four seventeen. there's a section about uh, verse 12 of First Peter 4 says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. In other words, during this time of suffering, verse 17, for it is time of judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are saved with difficulty. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? In other words, um, God is going to be fair and just. And, you know, if 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 the penalties have to be paid, um, this with difficulty, with, with the blood of Jesus on the cross, if that's what it takes to save those who are believers— um, what do you think's coming to those who who don't have that, and and that's that's what he's saying in Old Testament terms. Um, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna deal with Jerusalem, the heart, the city that carries my name, it says, um, don't you think I'm gonna deal rightly with everybody else? And then in verse thirty, so now we have the actual kind of this fresh uh, prophecy. Oh, by the way, I want to make one note. Um, in verse 26, all the kings of the n- north, far and near, one after another, and all the kingdoms of the world that are on my face, and after them, some of your translations may say, the king of Shishak shall drink. So Shishak is not, well, it's <laughs> not where gals go to hang out. Um, <laughs> And do their crafts. Um, shishak is a code word for Babylon. So the word that the Hebrew way of expressing Babylon apparently used the second and the eleventh letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Well, if you start from the end and take the next to last letter of the alphabet and then keep counting until you've got the eleventh letter from the end, um, then you get Shishak. And It's like a little code word, and several times in the Bible that shows up. But it's just kind of a code word for Babylon. When you didn't want to really say Babylon, uh, you could just say Shishak. So that was interesting. All right, verse 30. Um, So here we have, what is the actual prophecy against them? And God says to Jeremiah, say to them, The Lord will roar from on high and from his holy habitation utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, This shout like those who tread grapes, apparently this is like a happy shout. This is like God is like happy to be delivering this penalty. One commentator says, you know, this is like God's busting bodies like grapes are busting under the feet of people. I mean, this is pretty graphic, but it's like God is happy that justice is finally going to happen here, which is kind of a kind of a odd thing to hear, but there we have it. Verse 31, the clamor will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh, and the wicked he will put to the sword. Verse 32, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, we hear, verse 4, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So he wasn't just a prophet to Jerusalem or just a prophet to Jerusalem. I mean, uh, to Judah. He was a prophet to the nations, and that's why this indictment is going against all these nations. Verse 33. And those pierced by the Lord on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall be dung on the surface of the ground. And now... Just in case, you priests, just in case you thought you were okay, um, you're not. Verse 34: Wail, you shepherds, and cry out, and roll in ashes, you lords of the flock, for the days of your slaughter and dispersion have come, and you shall fall like a choice vessel. No refuge will remain for the shepherds, nor escape for the lords of the flock. A voice: the cry of the shepherds, and the wail of the lords of the flock, for the Lord is laying waste their pasture and the peaceful foals are devastated because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Like a lion, he has left his lair, for their land has become a waste because of the sword of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. You know, at the end of a... In your classic movie, you have some evil organization to be defeated, right? And pick your favorite person, you know, James Bond or, you know whoever. Um, but the story's never really finished until the guy at the top gets it, right? I think it's interesting that the, the final word is toward these, right? They thought they were fine as long as this buffer of the tribes to the north were in the way of their, you know, discipline, you might say. And then they said, well, you know, we're, we're fine, we're fine, we've still got Judah. And they said, no, we're fine. We've still got Jerusalem. And that's starting to be in doubt. And it's, well, but we've got the temple, right? And we'll find out that's not even good enough either. All right, we're going to run to chapter 26. Uh, I'll skip the time and date stamp, verse 2. It says, thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah, that come to worship in the house of the Lord, all the words I command you to speak to them, do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen, everyone will turn from his evil ways, that I may relent of the disaster I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me, to walk in the law that I have set before you, and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets whom I send to you urgently, though you haven't listened... Then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. So here we go again. The message is listen, turn from your evil way, walk in the law that I've set before you. They've already received the law, it's been put before them, right? All they have to do is walk in it, turn from their evil ways. And once again, who's the audience? People who were already coming to church. Right? So think about this. They were literally coming to encounter the presence of God, but were so blinded by their own deeds that they couldn't hear the very special message that in reality they came there to get. This is really a, fits in well with what I said before. Um, Habit brought them to a place that should have connected them to God. But habit wasn't enough. Um, I don't know how many of you uh, subscribe to Christianity today. I wanted to get a, a, an article off of it a few years ago, and I had to subscribe, and I clicked wrong and, and wound up subscribing for three years. Um, I, uh, and I, I still read it. It's actually interesting because it does give you an idea of the greater swath, a, a greater exposure to Christianity than I would probably otherwise be exposed to. And, I, and if you want to support them, I think that's fine. They've certainly done some excellent podcasting. Uh, but like I would recommend with any literature, um, you know, trust but verify, right? So so be careful. But there, I came across an, an article in this month's uh, message, reflecting on um, uh, a now deceased seminary professor. Some of you may have heard of named Dallas Willard. Uh, Dallas Willard was at the heart of what was called the spiritual, I guess still is, the spiritual formation movement. that started back in the late 70s, early 80s. Now, this concept, spiritual formation, was new to me as a label, but I instantly recognized what they were talking about because it's kind of everywhere and has been for a long time. So over the past 10 or 15 years, if you've heard renewed interest in... The spiritual disciplines that's kind of the heart of spiritual formation but it may be more than just prayer and Bible study it might be meditation you may have seen certain churches who have a a prayer walk or they may call it a prayer labyrinth or they may want you to spend time in solitude or journaling or Personality study through the Enneagram, or you know, a lot of these things that aren't necessarily anti scripture, but the point is, these are all designed to be spiritual disciplines that would connect you closer to God. Now, here's where it gets tricky you know, we have such a hard time finding the sweet spot in all this, right? Is it good to devote yourself to prayer and Bible study? Absolutely. There's even evidence that God wants us to focus on good things that aren't necessarily Scripture, or not necessarily coming to church. I mean, Philippians 4, right? If there's anything good and worthy and trustworthy, right? Think on these things. So that's good. The problem is, somewhere along the way, some of the devotees of this spiritual formation movement have gotten more interest in the tasks and the disciplines than what should have been the object of those disciplines, right? And so they might say, well, well, anyone should get the benefit of meditation, right? Well, you know, if you get your mind in a... Certain state to perhaps listen closer to the Holy Spirit. If you're not careful, you might be listening to other spirits, right? Um, we just can't ever get it quite right. I mean, so nowadays you have people all over the world who are spending lots of time in meditation. Uh, some of you recreate with golf, um, I recreate with the occasional poker tournament. I spend way less than people spend on golf, by the way. (laughs) I came across a, you know, the internet knows who you're interested in. I was exposed to a guy who's a decent poker player bragging about the fact that he had spent 10,000 hours of meditation over the past few years. He'd been charting this. Well, that's great, but I doubt that led him to God, right? Right? There are there are people who have been in the forefront of this spiritual formation movement who come from backgrounds, um, some of the Catholics and so forth, who are very interested in solitude and all those sorts of things, which, again, aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. But some of the people that have gotten have become proponents of this, and some of this is showing up in our seminaries and stuff like that, Um, I saw one statement appropriately attributed to him that said, well, you know, for people that are engaged in these activities, I think they might be able to find their own way to God, and he kind of left out Jesus, right? So back to the Christianity Today article, it was an article about one of the founders of this who properly... Predicted, he said, you know, if we're not careful, people are going to get so focused on the practices, they're going to forget the purpose of the practices. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I don't really fault Dallas Willard, because he saw up front that this was something that, you know, was part of, you know, a, you might say discipleship. But you can't just do that. So here we have people who were in the habit of going to temple in the habit of doing all the churchy stuff. Remember, I mean, we studied this in the past, right? All the, They had to do cleansing. You know, the women were over here. The guys were over here. You know, the, the lampstands and the slaughters and all the sacrificial stuff was going on, right? But they didn't hear the message of the guy that was standing there telling them what to do. I mean, so habit is only, you know, habits can sometimes keep you heading in the right direction when your own willpower lacks, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with developing a habit of, you know, quiet times and all those sorts of things, right? So I'm not against any of that, but just don't forget who you're there to meet. I guess that's the point. One final thing. Um, Verse 6. Man. Yeah. We we, we might make it through 26. Uh, Verse 26. I'm, I'm sorry. Chapter 26, verse 6 Then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. So remember Shiloh. Shiloh, we heard about when we did our 1st and 2nd Samuel studies. Shiloh was 15 or 20 miles north of Jerusalem. This was the original place where the tabernacle stopped, where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is where all the big religious stuff was happening until things went sideways and the Philistines captured the ark at Shiloh. And so Shiloh became a bad thing because things went wrong. And so Shiloh became an example of when God had judgment on a place telling people, y'all, it's not the place that's sacred. There's nothing special about Shiloh just because I was there. And that's what he's saying here. Jerusalem, there's nothing that special about Jerusalem. It's The important thing is me. Right? Which I found kind of funny but I meant to do, pull this up on Google Maps to see how many churches named Shiloh are in the Carolinas. They're all over the place. You know, in our backyard. Love those folks. But they were thinking about the original Shiloh, not the latter days of Shiloh. Well, then that got me thinking about our cancel culture. And anyway. <laughs> that we'd... Man, I'm really off the reservation here, which is probably politically incorrect right there. Um, verse 7. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words on the house of the Lord. And when he finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak... Then priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him say, you're, you're gonna die. This is the this is the equivalent of Jesus before the Sanhedrin answering, I am, and them ripping their claw, their robes with all the blasphemy that's going on. So that's what they're kind of accusing him of. Is like, wait a minute, you're prophesying against Us saying we're going to be like Shiloh, verse 9. It says, why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying this house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, and they weren't gathering around to, you know, lay hands on him. They were going to lay hands physically on him. Um, They were not happy with him. Skipping to verse 11, this man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against the city, as you've heard, with your own ears. Uh, I'll skimp ahead, verse 13. He says, Now mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. Do what you want to with me but if you're going to do anything to me, latter part of verse 15, you'll bring innocent blood upon yourselves. Basically saying, y'all, I'm just the messenger here. I'm just the messenger. Mm -hmm. So we have in verse 16 this little bit of reasonableness that pops up. I'm not sure where it came from. It seems crazy, but there's this little bit of reasonableness because before then... Remember, the shepherds and everybody were saying, you're fine. Forget Jeremiah. Remember last week? We said, you're fine. You're fine. Just ignore that. Ignore what he's telling you. Yeah, we know he's in the temple. We know he's been given the same message for the last 23 years. We know he claims to be speaking for God, but just, just ignore that. In fact, he's saying that Jerusalem's going to fall so that's clearly, you should, you should ignore that a lot. There was a a movie on one of these streaming things uh, a while back called Don't Look Up. Did you ever see that? Um, it's like these astrophysicists sorts of people see an asteroid coming toward the earth and they're trying to warn everybody and then finally you know the whoever the government is, I don't know, said no no don't you don't have to worry about a thing everything will be fine until you can actually see it in the sky. <laughs> So then the government's great strategy is to say, don't look up. And that's the big campaign. (laughs) No, just, you know, it's like pay no attention to the man behind the green curtain, you know. Um, That's kind of what these folks are saying. No, just ignore him. And Jeremiah's saying, okay, but I'm just a messenger. So what happens? They finally get some sense briefly. Verse 16, then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, you know, this man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And elders of the land arose and spoke to the people, saying, Micah prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And I'll summarize here. So Hezekiah had the Sennacherib's army knocking on the door. This is, um, Second Kings 18 and 19, if you want to read about it, and so he gets the prophecy comes to him and says, "Repent, Hezekiah." Repents, asks God to to protect them because the army is is looking bad, and then God steps up, and 189,000 people are dead the next morning, which is a good victory, and the you know they the the leftovers scurry back to wherever they came from, and so verse 19, it says, did Hezekiah, king of Judah, put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord? Did he not like pay attention and good things happen? And everybody's thinking, yeah, yeah, that happened. Um, And then the latter part, 20 to 23, is the opposite side of that. So this is another prophet, um, Uriah, and he prophesied against the city and and the land, and the king didn't listen, Uri tried to escape. He ran down to Egypt, unbeknownst to him, you know, Egypt and then had an extradition treaty or something. Anyway, it didn't go well for him. Uh, he got killed, right? Um, so you've got these two sides of what to do with the prophet where you don't like the message. And then verse 24 says, but the hand of Ahikam, the son of J- Saphon, I guess he was an influential member of this group that was gathered together, uh, was with Jeremiah so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. So Jeremiah has a close call here uh, just because he's speaking the truth. And, um, and it's sobering to hear about Uriah here who was doing all the right things, saying all the right things, being a successful prophet of God, and he wasn't fully protected. He died. So there you go. All right. In the end, Jeremiah's life was spared. So we'll get to hear more from him. All right. Well, I apologize for the rambling. Uh, Any thoughts or comments? Any damage control that needs to happen? (laughs) All right. You guys are great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message, um, for the timeliness of it. Uh, We pray that you would help us to Repent where we need to repent and to dwell in the blessings that you have so richly given us and to be aware of our audience, Um, uh, any background work we need to bring to them in order to share with them the gospel. We thank you uh, for uh, the fact that you have grafted us in uh, through Jesus. In his name, amen. amen. Thanks, everybody.